Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the National Library of Australia. My name is Susanna Hellman, and I project managed and co-curated our current Cook exhibition here at the National Library of Australia. As we begin, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of this land. I thank their elders, past and present, for caring for this land we are now privileged to call home. The National Library's new exhibition, Cook and the Pacific, explores Cook's three extraordinary voyages to the Pacific. It looks at the voyages as meetings of peoples and their knowledge systems, of places, of the voices and the stories of people on both, side, both the ship and the shore, European and First Nations. One of the major achievements of Cook's voyages was their collecting and documentation of the natural world. For example, of over 30,000 botanical specimens collected on the Endeavour voyage by Joseph Banks and Daniel Solander, about 1,400 were unknown to Europeans. Sidney Parkinson, the young Quaker artist on that voyage, completed 674 drawings and 269 watercolours of botanical specimens. This evening, our panel will discuss the context and importance of the botanical and zoological art that came out of the voyages of Cook, as well as the continuing significance of this kind of art in the scientific field today. Cook and the Pacific would not be possible without the support of individuals, communities, cultural institutions, sponsors and government. The National Library of Australia acknowledges the generous contribution of First Nations peoples who have allowed their culture, experiences and voices to be heard throughout the exhibition. We also acknowledge the support of lending institutions, both domestic and international, and private lenders. By sharing their history and collections with us, we will build stronger connections with the communities whose lives these collections represent. We thank the Australian Government for providing significant funding, including through the National Collecting Institutions Touring Outreach Program and through the Australian Government International Exhibitions Insurance Program. We are grateful for the financial and in-kind support provided by our generous exhibition partners, ActuAGL, the Pratt Foundation, the Kenyan Foundation and Foxtel's History Channel. Facilitating our panel tonight is journalist and writer Genevieve Jacobs. Our panellists are Julia Landford, Dr. Bronwyn Douglas and Dr. Judy West. Julia Landford is the director of the Natural History Art School, Canberra Nature Art Lab. In Julia's 20-year public service career, she was deployed to Papua New Guinea, Southeast Asia and the Pacific region. The rich biodiversity of these regions was a great source of artistic inspiration and saw her establish Canberra's first art school dedicated to artistic inspiration from nature. Julia is very happy to provide information about Nature Art Lab after this session and um, there are Nature Art um, greeting cards available in the bookshop. Dr. Bronwyn Douglas is an honorary professor at the ANU School of Archaeology and Anthropology and was a Harold White Fellow at the library in 2010. Her research interests include the history of encounters in Oceania and the idea of race and the history of science. 
Dr. Judy West has had an extensive botanical career and in 2003 she was awarded the Order of Australia for her services to Australian botany. Judy has dedicated her career to botany in several executive positions at the CSIRO and ANU and is currently the Executive Director of the Australian National Botanic Gardens. Please join me in welcoming our speakers. <laughs> Well, thank you very much indeed. What a great pleasure to be back here at the National Library and to see all these beaming, thoughtful faces. Always one of my favourite audiences. We're going to uh, have a conversation here between ourselves up on the panel, but then I will throw open to you. So uh, we'll have 10 or 15 minutes before the end of the event for your questions. I always say to my audiences that I have great faith in Canberrans to ask thoughtful, probing, incisive questions that further the conversation. In fact, from time to time when I'm doing events elsewhere, I throw out the challenge and I say, well, Sydney Siders, can you match my Canberra questioners? <laughs> it is indeed a, a wonderful panel here. And I think we'll have a conversation that draws us deeper into the world, not only of Cook, always a figure of great fascination for Australia and his voyages, but also the, the peoples into whose world he sailed, their knowledge their ideas, the scientific context in which this exploration took place and how significant that legacy remains, uh, both through the work of the natural history artists who travelled on Cook's voyages and the continued value of those early illustrations. But uh, Bronwyn Douglas, let me start with you. Set the scene for us, if you would, in terms of natural history, science, the, the social context. What, what kind of world was surrounding Cook's voyages when he set out? Genevieve, and thank you for coming, and it's very nice to be here. Um, I, I guess from the point of view of, of natural history, the most important thing is the rediscovery of, of, of the classical notion of, of natural history, um, the natural history of Aristotle and Pliny, which occurs, I, I guess, in the late 17th century, and is really transformed by the Swedish botanist Linnaeus um, in, in the 1730s. Um, Linnaeus was a, 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 a loser and pastor, but uh, his notion of including man as the pinnacle of the, the animal kingdom, one of the three kingdoms of nature, um, was uh, heretical, certainly heterodox and probably heretical in the, in the, in the 18th century. Um, Joseph Banks was a true Linnaean. He um, followed Linnaeus's principles very, very um, closely. And I guess it could be said he operationalizes um, Linnaeus, or Linnaean ideas, in the newly emergent imperial settings of um, particularly, in this case, the exploration, or the, the scientific exploration of the Pacific. Um, and it's, it, it's in that nexus there that between science and empire that you actually uh, find Cook and those who sent him operating or, or, or moving. Um, the point about Linnaean, the, the Linnaean revolution is the drive to describe, name and classify everything in the natural world, whether it be rocks, plants, animals, uh, insects, fish, um, and, and man, human beings. Um, 
I think this is a really important aspect of the difference between the three voyages, is that Banks, the full-scale Linnaean, um, recruited Solander, who's a student of, um, of, of Linnaeus, and they set out to classify everything they came across, really, and, and man fitted into that. Um, I'll perhaps, perhaps stop there, except to say that Banks's collecting included man. He collected Tupaya, the, the Raiatean, and his young... Um, called servant but young companion and the, um, the well-known comment he made is I do not know why I may not keep him as a curiosity <laughs> as well as some of my neighbours do lions and tigers. Um, now I suppose it could be said that Tupai did turn out to be something of a tiger <laughs> but not quite in the way that was expected. Uh, Judy West just to follow on from Bronwyn's comments about this sort of intense fervent motivation around Linnaean science, the idea of <coughs> classification. Certainly all science in some senses stands on the shoulders who went before. But in terms of botany in particular, this was an intensely interesting time, wasn't it? We are in the midst of a, a really significant epoch of discovery. Mm -hmm. yeah, thanks, Genevieve. Uh, yes, it is. Um, Linnaeus's um, Species Plantarum was published in 1753, and that, that then generated an enormous amount of interest in you know, nomenclature <coughs> and, and just naming, as, as Bronwyn said, um, classification became a major part of what botany and science was about, really. Mm. Um, but I think that what happened on the voyage, first, especially the first voyage for Cook's first voyage, it was sort of going back to art was being used really there as a, as a communication process of, of mm. science. And, and it was a you know, centuries-old preoccupation of, of depicting flora, much more flora than, than fauna at that time. And, and so it was both for art and for science. Um, so I think I think that's the the, the the sort of artistic part that comes out of the of the collections, mm -hmm. and it was early late 1760s, early 1770s that really um, using it, it became the the practice of using art um, for botanical art for describing the collections that were on, on that were being collected because they couldn't you know they. Well, they certainly collected Banks' that first expedition. They collected 30,300 specimens of herbarium specimens, mm -hmm. you know, dried plant specimens. Um, and that, that was a big... I, mean, I can come back to that and talk a bit about mm -hmm. how Parkinson related to that. But, but that, there are massive <coughs> collections done. Mm. And, and we're certainly in the midst for, for sort of quite a, a long time of the, the fervour of the plant hunters. Mm. And, mm -hmm. and it, there's an enormous <coughs> amount of excitement back in Europe mm -hmm. about exactly. specimens, about the illustrations mm -hmm. of those specimens, about collecting everything you could get your hands on, mm -hmm. which is a signifier of how cultivated and how intelligent and how well-connected you were if you mm. were able to, to gather that information together. Julia Lanford, of course, no box brownies, as Julia yes. suggested a moment ago. Who is recording all of this and how are they doing it? Well, I think the, the fascinating thing about all of those early illustrations from these early voyages is that um, a lot of the drawings, a lot of the illustrations um, were closely looking at what people were seeing and trying to understand the structure and the morphology, the, the, um, the anatomy of animals, the, the characteristics of the things that people were seeing on these voyages. And so from a scientific illustration perspective, there are there are a number of ways of doing that, and I think the tools that were available to people at that time were 
um, reasonably limited, I guess, in some ways, but um, being able to, to draw and to construct images through drawing um, was important, mm. but also being able to record the colours and the, mm. and the, um, the structures and, the, and what people were seeing was, was equally important. I think, you know, when you're on a collecting voyage and preservation of those colours and, and the, the things that you're seeing in nature particularly, um, without drawing and illustrating those, you're not necessarily going to be able to preserve those, um, the, the actual colours and, and images that you've, that you've um, created. And in that sense, far from being sort of a pleasant adjunct to the excursions, these people are absolutely <laughs> central to the purpose of discovery, aren't they? That's exactly mm. right, yeah. Roman? I, think it's, I think it's important to realise that you know, the drawing, the capacity to draw was an essential ability of an mm. educated person. Um, and that includes women too, of course. Mm. Um, Banks said explicitly that as far as he was concerned, uh, drawing is a better way to convey information than words. Mm. Um, and indeed, if, if you know, Banks wrote relatively little and, what, and didn't write very well anyway. Um, we published relatively <laughs> little anyway, and, and if, if you've read his journal, you know he's um, definitely idiosyncratic in his <laughs> expression. Then they all were, I guess, at that stage. And, and, and Judy West, we might just uh, pause for a moment on Banks and Solander in this particular mm -hmm. context, because they're towering figures. Mm -hmm. Talk to me about them, what was motivating them to take place in these really arduous journeys, because of course we're talking about voyages that take place over long periods mm -hmm. of time mm -hmm. into vast, empty wildernesses of mm -hmm. ocean. And it was, again, um, really um, a, a discovery. Yeah. Um, basically, what is there? Um, you know, of the of the mm. thirty thousand specimens, herbarium specimens they collected, there was something like um, uh, three thousand species. But but fourteen hundred of those were new to science, mm. and and that's what really was driving them. I mean, Salander was, you know, was Swedish, and he was, as you said, he was trained by Linnaeus. He he was really much younger person, um, and but they were both investigators, mm -hmm. uh, and it was what was driving them, is, is to understand these southern lands, basically. Mm -hmm. Banks was on, his, was on his grand tour. Yes, mm -hmm. yes, yeah. well Banks is, Banks is a, a highly educated man, and yeah. a person mm -hmm. who's and got wealthy. intense scientific curiosity. As, and as wealthy at that time, <laughs> yes. not later in life. Robin, just back to you for a moment on the, on the context, because we've talked about this in terms of um, the, the, the European world and the motivations mm -hmm. there, but tell us more about the First Nations peoples that uh, Cook and his ship mates encountered and they spent quite a lot of time in places like New Zealand and the Society Islands. What were those societies, those peoples like at the time? Very varied. What was the world in which they sailed? The Great Polynesian Triangle stretching from New Zealand to, to Easter Island to Hawaii mm -hmm. uh, and to Tonga in the, in, in the, um, in the west. Um, there was a, a, a degree of capacity to, in, to communicate, so that when Tupaya sails with Cook, with Banks and Cook, to New Zealand, he actually can speak to people. He can communicate, and I think it's actually quite fascinating on that, that first voyage because um, the you're seeing some of the art. Well, you have been. I, I can't see it myself, but some, the, the, the Parkinson's art is very diagrammatic. It's not. Um, he's not. He's not depicting people. Tupaya. Two of the most remarkable drawings that come out of that voyage are Tupaya's um, picture of Banks exchanging a crayfish with a with a with a Maori chief in New Zealand, um, and his of course his his picture that's in his drawing that's in this exhibition of the of the uh, Aboriginal fishermen. Mm -hmm. So 
the, the, the Polynesians were maritime people. They sailed. Tupaya was a superb navigator. Um, he knew... Uh, uh, the recent, recent research is showing that, that he, he, he knew of islands as far as Hawaii and he'd probably been as far as the Marquesas and, and, and Samoa. You know, he had travelled widely himself. They did. You go further west and you come to quite different societies. Um, still maritime in, in places like um, Vanuatu, the New Hebrides, New Caledonia to, to a lesser extent. Um, Australia, of course, or New Holland and Van Diemen's Land, rather, rather different. Um, the people they interacted with were fishing people mostly. They weren't, and that was one of the reasons why they were despised. They were thought not to be um, agriculturalists, not to, not to be settled. Uh, but the, 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 they were very different. Tupaya could not communicate in Australia, mm. and he um, he found these people very different. So, you know, a, a great range of, 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 of uh, in Tahiti, Tonga, very hierarchical um, societies, and 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 further further west, uh, much more egalitarian. Mm. Um, well, there's, there's always been that sense, hasn't there? that the British explorers were able to somehow get a handle on those very hierarchical societies because they understood something of the process. It made sense to them in a way that um, Aboriginal culture, for, for instance, just didn't, there, there wasn't a firm grounding for the yeah, communications. When, uh, Judy, is there a sense that there's a, a communication between equals taking place and understanding that there's no, another no. pool of knowledge? No? So. No. 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 no? no, even no. to Pia, even mm. with to Pia, you know, he can navigate, he's not a real navigator. <laughs> which, is, which is extraordinary because one of the things that comes out of this is this enormous sense of knowledge. And you know, we, we've mentioned just a moment ago that Tupaya knew of, I, I think it's, what was it, seven, 75 islands, something oh, like 200. that? Two, mm, yeah, well, it's 200 that he could, that he recognised and mm. 75 that he could sort of name oh, and describe right. in vast yeah. detail. So, so there is actually a huge exchange of knowledge but not necessarily a respectful response mm -hmm. to that. Well, Cook did hand the vessel, handed the endeavour over to Tupaya to navigate Within the Society Islands themselves, and then and then further south towards the Cook Islands. After that, of course, he 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 he, he, he took over took over himself. Mm -hmm. So he there was a kind of a professional respect there, but it was in that limited, re relatively limited geographical zone. And and, mm -hmm. and further, you know, they couldn't conceive that they really knew, you know, say about Tonga or Samoa. Mm. Mm. I think that leads us to sort of some questions about what we see in the artworks that result from all of this. Julia, as an artist, tell mm. me what you see first when you look at the botanical records. What, what's apparent to you about how this work was approached and what people understood they were doing? Um, it's a very, very, very interesting question. And I think that there's, um, when you look at some of the early, the early illustrations of Australian mammals, for example, or birds, um, what people were illustrating is what they thought they were seeing, not necessarily mm. what they saw. Mm -hmm. and, um, and that's quite an interesting difference, I guess, from mm. um, current scientific illustration, which is very much um, removing yourself from what you think you're seeing to actually illustrating what you are seeing and learning to look and learning to observe very closely. Um, so, and, and I think also there were, there were a lot of disadvantages because they were, were having to um, illustrate from specimens that were 
dried up and no longer had the form or the shape of the of the live specimens that they There's saw. There's a bit of wild guessing going That's on right. sometimes, isn't <laughs> That's there? right. That's right. So, you know, it's 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 really really fascinating. But I think a lot of the botanical Does that make plants easy? I think so. I was just gonna say I think the botanical um, specimens which we can see on that slide there, it's much easier because mm. you're although the transient colour um, issues mm, mm. still remain a problem for artists mm. and, for, and for scientific mm. observation. So getting the colour mm. correctly um, um, rendered on a painting is a really challenging thing, even now, to, to try to um, replicate or, or mm. present that information about colour is quite challenging for artists even today. And you're on a ship, you're, what, 20,000? miles away and, yeah. and, and you've only got what you could bring with you, you can't replant, once you leave Rio I guess, you can't replenish. And, and I just wondered while you were, while you were speaking, on, mm. on that really practical level, you know, what if something went wrong with your brushes, what if you ran out of yellow, That's what right, if your all kinds of things <laughs> happened That's along right. the way yeah. because of those limitations? Well, you know, there are some very interesting um, ways to, to present, to get around that challenge by, um, you know, I think Bauer's um, seal number, seal number poo. systems. Seal, seal poo makes a very nice sulphur colour. That's right. <laughs> uh, but the Indigenous Australians did it best. They understood ochres and they mm, understood yeah. the colours of country and, yeah. you know, they were able to do those things. So necessity beautiful. is absolutely the mother of yeah. invention. Yeah. But it's not only a matter of scientific record because we've, we've also got some intensely romantic mm. renderings of mm. the landscape. Um, William mm. Hodges' views yeah. of the Society yeah. Islands, yeah. for example, um, it's clear that, that he is astonished by the light and the, mm. the wild grandeur mm. of what he sees. Mm. It did remind me that we're on, uh, as well as a time of scientific curiosity, we're on the cusp of the, the Romantic era where you've got a worship of wilderness that becomes almost a cult and perhaps mm. fueled by just these kinds of images of this world of primeval beauty. Now, th there's a bit of a note of being patronising <laughs> occurring there too, of course, because they were just other people's homes, um, but perhaps actually from, from a few of you, your, your responses to landscape. Judy, what do you see when you see the, the landscapes and, and if we try to put ourselves in the place of the artists who are rendering those? Uh, some of them are a bit out of place. <laughs> didn't seem to re represent what they might have been seeing. It was a little bit what Julia was saying. They were almost um, representing what they hoped they were seeing, I think. Yeah. Um, but many of them are very, very romantic, definitely. Um, mm. and but there's also a strong empirical drive. Yeah. You've got to get it right too. Um, and, and I think that probably applies particularly to plants. Um, That's right. But it also applies to people up to a point. Um, again, the, the, you've probably seen the, 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 the Parkinson mm. drawings. Mm. They're not real people. Those, he, he's, a, he's a draftsman. He gets thrown into having to do people, figures because the landscape painted buck and dies in Tahiti. Yeah, dies, yeah. And, and so he and Spurring, who's... So I mean, this is such a, this is such a technical limitation. The landscape <laughs> pine has gone and died. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He had an epileptic fit and died. I mean, ba Banks... How are we going to get the records back when the landscape... Banks was furious. <laughs> yes. So Parkinson took over doing a lot of the landscape yeah. work as well. Yes. Well, he didn't do... He did, he, but, but the landscape work, of course, is, is very much... His landscape work is very much kind of like coastal views. Yeah. It's not like Hodges, who is a on the second voyage is a landscape painter mm. and he and that's the, the and not so good at figures um, so his, his his gorgeous drawings that you've seen the red chalk drawings in the in the exhibition um, you know they're, they're they're really moving but they're not terribly good as 
as, as faces go. But we, we have focused a lot on the scientific aspects of the voyage, but of course we know these days about Cook operating under the, the secret instructions. Mm. Um, and, you know, fascinating to think about that, that instruction to search for the great southern land mm -hmm. and to take it but with the consent of the inhabitants, mm. almost <laughs> as if you're going to take a straw poll mm. uh, when mm. you, you landed at Botany mm. Bay. Mm. Uh, you know, would you mind if we came and took over? You've got no idea what we've got in mind for you. Um, but uh, exactly. let's, let's think perhaps about the impact of all this information when we get back to England. Um, uh, Julia, I mean, they're very significant works at the time for all the reasons that we've, we've been describing. Um, and they're also part of the the field of knowledge that people who are educated and cultivated back in England sort of have within their ambit. This is, this is an essential way of communicating information into that world, isn't it? That's right. And I think, um, I think that's the important thing that, that art brings to science. It's actually that communication of what people see, what people understand, how people are responding to what they're looking at as well. Um, and it's, it's, and it continues to be important today. You know, it's, uh, and I think, you know, the, there are a lot of there are a lot of topics that we could talk about around photography versus art and and how how objects and and um, and live animals or, or plants are, are depicted and it's there is nothing that can replace that eye hand approach to documenting something and except that's it. not what people see they don't see Parkinson's mm. drawings they don't see you know <coughs> the, what they see are the engravings yeah. Mm. Um, mm. Which and is, yes, and, and again, <coughs> one of the things I, I tried to do in those in those few slides is to, is to show the differences and the, the transition, the way in which it does um, it does distort, particularly mm. human beings. Mm. Um, uh, uh, which, as you said, is an integral part of the whole sort of idea of a collecting strategy. They've got very wide open eyes to absolutely everything, and they don't think about this idea of collecting human beings. <laughs> <laughs> Judy, as as a scientist, what's the continuing importance of natural history art? today, I mean, uh, perhaps we should just touch on that idea mm -hmm. of why it's more than decorative, although goodness knows, you know, a thousand modern sugar bowls have been launched on the, the wings of, of natural history art, but, but there, there's an enduring importance to the legacy of this art, isn't oh, there? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I think what we've, we've had is a botanical art, um, which is much more of it striving to be scientifically and artistically um, and botanically correct, but with an artistic emphasis mm. as against um, botanical illustration which is trying to be scientifically you know, mm. put the record straight and so you could actually use the information to identify a plant mm. um, so that that's a, a big difference but what Parkinson was doing but so what um, we were just talking about is that the problem of colors and mm. when you see some of those illustrations there is Parkinson and and Bauer on the Flinders expedition mm. which was 1801 1805 used a numbering system for their mm. colors because mm. they couldn't um, mm. do all the paintings mm. now, because um, there was a lot of pressure on Parkinson to do the paintings on, on ship and think about it, it was a rocking thing <laughs> going around and, and, um, and obviously a lot of problems of just having space and things to do the work. Well, but there are some great stories about how the work was done on board ship, aren't there? Yeah, and, and, and how the, and how the, the paintings were, were dried, how mm -hmm. they were stored. It was the paintings and the, and the herbarium specimens to dry them because mm -hmm. they had to be dried mm -hmm. to get back to England and there was one when in when the Endeavour um, tipped partly and got stuck in the in the coal near Endeavour River, um, you know, that, that area, Cooktown area now, um, the ships um, swayed sideways and a whole lot of the cabinets where the dried herbarium specimens were 
um, got wet again. And so they had to take them all out and they dried them on all the sand and, and, and the, on the beside the river, and Endeavour River up Good there. Good thing it wasn't the wet season. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it took them a while to dry story, them. Isn't yeah. It? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And, and some of the things they, um, because they ran out of um, spirit, they actually dried or pickled some of the, particularly the fruits that are larger fruits, they pickled them in their gin they had still left. Um, so, because so they'd been well supplied with gin. Yeah, they were having an English scientific expedition. Yeah, exactly. A lot of gin. Exactly. Um, <laughs> but I think the, the thing for Parkinson was that he couldn't, he set up the number, the colouring system, was that one, it was, oh, might be the next one, um, was partly, um, he, he just did some colour on um, flower and fruit and a leaf and type thing to, and then use a numbering system for the rest so that they, mm. were, they were actually finished by. Um, I think Banks employed um, five painters mm. to finish those back in, in, in London mm. later. Yeah. Mm. So it was um, a massive job. He just couldn't get all the new species done at the mm. time, so he did mm. as much as he could. He's and there's a, that's the, the one on the left is hard to see because the line drawings haven't come out, but that's what it is. It's a sketch. Um, mm. and, and there's another one in there which is actually... It's a fish which is also hard to see, but it's Bauer, uh, Ferdinand Bauer, who was the main artist on the Flinders Exhibition, beautiful artist. And, um, and he set up a numbering system which was hundreds of numbers, mm. all, all the different gradings of those numbers. Oh, yeah. um, and, and I had a lucky chance there of, of I worked in, the, in Kew Gardens for a year in 1987-88, um, and they used to have, those, those drawings were done on, on like drawing paper, mm. um, and it was, some of them had been stored in the herbarium specimens still in, in the herbarium, and I had to find a specimen for someone. And, and I came across this thing, I thought, oh, that looks weird. Um, and, anyway, and I took it to one of the senior botanists in Kew. They said, no, no, we've got them all out of there. No, no, it no, can't be that, can't be that. Sure enough, it was on the originals of these. That, so that sort oh. of, um, the line drawings of Bauer had done. They thought they'd pulled them all out and put them in the archives, but they weren't, so there's some still in so there. So you found that was original exciting. Bauer yeah. line drawing. Yeah. What a thrill of yeah, discovery. What, yeah. a, what a moment. Yeah, absolutely. It was exciting. Yeah. Uh, Bronwyn, we've been talking about Banks and Salander and Hodges and Parkinson and so on and so forth. Cook's a hard character to read. It's hard to, to know how he felt about all of this. The scientific aspect of the expedition seems to have been a pretty smashing success, but what do we know about how Cook felt about where he'd been and what had happened as a consequence? Well, we do know that... Cook wasn't too happy about uh, scientists, mm. or Summel, as they were called then. <coughs> um, he, he, Banks, of course, didn't get to go on the second voyage because he wanted to turn the, uh, turn the resolution <laughs> into a, you know, a travelling laboratory, and it would have sunk probably. Mm. Um, <laughs> and on the second voyage, he was afflicted by the, um, by the, the forces, particularly Johann Reinhold, the older, the father, and Georg, the son, a young, very young man, he was only about 18 or 19, um, and wrote a narrative of the voyage. But the Forsters were also, uh, Johann Reinhold Forster was also very difficult, so he had, to, he had to cope with them, to the extent that when he went on his third voyage, he <laughs> said, no more civilian scientists. <laughs> and the naturalists on the third voyage were in fact the surgeons, uh, and mm -hmm. William Anderson and Samuel Anderson had been on the second voyage. And I think it's one of the reasons why, one of the things that needs to be kept in mind is, is, is um, the, the, different the different skills of the particular, and interests of the particular science, savant, and of the artists, mm -hmm. the skills and interests of the artists, because it's, uh, I, I have no sense of what Cook thought of, about it all, except that he couldn't stand 
uh, Johann Reinhold Forster. <laughs> um, so do you, do you think he, he went out and did a job and did it? I mean, one of the things about Cook is that he... Did, well, he, he was a scientist. He was a scientist himself. Hmm. Remember, he was, a, he, was a, he was an absolutely superb hydrographer. Hmm. He was one of the few... Um, he's a tremendously competent person. Cook. Very competent, yeah. but he's not. You know, it's, it's more than competence. I mean, he could. He, he was an inshore sailor, and he was also a high seas man. He could navigate. He, you know, his 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 science, his astronomy, mm. his hydrography, um, and his navigation generally were, were of the, the uh, an extraordinarily high capacity, which is why he got out of the ranks into being mm. an officer in the first place. Mm. So. Let's not. He, he is a scientist himself, mm. and that science is really important because it's it, it's you know if you can't navigate, you're going to run into a, a continent <laughs> <laughs> uh, well. and come to grief, as he did. Yes, really. exactly, <laughs> exactly. Uh, are there any records of any kind of of? Um, I mean, we, we've got all this sort of complex stuff about interactions that took place in you know, the Society Islands, for example, mm. and with regard to things like sex that led to decades of exoticising and, and often quite a lot of misrepresentation. Mm -hmm. Is there an alternative perspective of how the islanders saw the sailors? Is there, are there any... Uh, are there stories? Are there oral records of any kind? Well, there are definitely local histories now, yeah. um, but it is a long time ago, and mm. I don't think you can expect to see a kind of a continuous mm. transmission of particular stories, particularly mm. in the context of, of societies that uh, very often were decimated by, by disease mm. and mm -hmm. um, transformed into, um, willingly and happily, into very strongly Christian societies, yes. um, not imposed upon them, but, mm. but taken up. Mm. Uh, I, I, but yes, of course, there are... Um, our stories about um, which some of which have been told in the context of the of the expedition that uh, um, about about violence about um, the failure to reciprocate properly about lack of respect. Mm. Um, I, I don't know so much. It, it, there are, there was a lot of stories say around Cooktown, mm. and there probably is a content, you know a, mm -hmm. an ongoing. Con continuous tradition there of sorts. I mean, you're not going to get that in Sydney. No. <laughs> you're not going to get that no. at Botany mm. Bay. Mm. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. But which is not to say there aren't Indigenous stories. And obviously, the uh, Captain Cook has become um, a synonym for invasion. So mm. you have mm. Captain Cooks running around in stories in in Central Australia. Is that uh, right? Yeah. So um, it's something that sort of ripples out. It's a kind of a synecdoche for. Okay, that's absolutely the invasion. Um, too many Captain Cooks is 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 is, is the, the title of one particular paper, being written with an with an Aboriginal person. How fascinating! That's extraordinary. I'm going to turn over to you in a, a couple of minutes, but Julia, I just wanted to turn to you again first. We don't necessarily absolutely need natural history art today, and we've covered that territory in discussing the difference between photography and illustration. That is, it's got a, a real value. But tell me how you approach the kind of art we've been discussing as an artist, creatively. Um, yeah, look, I, I, it's, it's, a, it's a, actually a really important space to be working in, um, and I think increasingly important. Uh, art um, and digitisation are two very different forms of observing and recording information. Um, but art in itself is something that actually changes the way that the human brain is structured. Mm. It changes the way that people learn. It 
is actually, um, there's a lot of scientific research globally demonstrating the importance of, of drawing and illustration for learning and, and, um, and the benefits that that has across science and scientific discovery and creativity. So the, it's, it remains absolutely critical for human well-being, mental health, but also understanding our natural world and being able to observe and, and, and learn from what we're seeing. Um, uh, for, for as an artist, I think actually being able to do that and sit down and, and look at something a little bit more closely than you would with a photograph or, or just as a passerby, um, you have the opportunity to reflect much more deeply on what you're looking at and, and understand things much more deeply. Mm. Um, so, you know, I'm really keen to promote um, that opportunity with young scientists, with, with children, with students of science, um, because it is actually a really critical skill that we have lost to some extent, and we need to regain that. And you're, talking about, you're talking about a very precise process of examination, aren't you? You've mm -hmm. got this mm -hmm. close, deep yeah. focus on mm -hmm. something that's in front of you, mm. and it's not <coughs> merely sort of trying to capture it accurately. To do that, you've got to understand how it works. That's right. Mm -hmm. So you're asking a lot of questions while you're illustrating. You're actually under trying to understand identification. You're mm. un trying to understand um, the, how it works, why it, why it works the way it does. Where it fits within the broader context of its of the environment and the world, um, there are a lot of questions that we need to ask through that observation and that learning and illustration and therefore then art. Um, so there's a, it's it's a a really critical process that many scientists I think are now understanding and appreciating um, in their work much more than perhaps. Um, you know, they have been recently with digitisation. Um, it's, there's a bit of a global movement back towards the importance of observation, drawing and, and art. What, what, what inspiration do you get from looking at the images that have been flickering along behind us? Mm, um, look, I, I'm just, I, I, I find um, that immersion in nature, again, something that's really, really critical. It's, I love being able to, um, to see the end result as well. I think um, art is a really important communication tool. So, so being able to use an illustration like that to tell the story about a plant or a specimen or, or an, you know, an animal or whatever it is that you're seeing. And these early, um, early scientists and artists did that so well. Mm. Um, and you know, there's still so much more to tell about our natural world that hasn't been told so already. So, you know, the, the challenge continues. Oh, very much so, and I think mm. just beautiful to see that, that, that cycling yeah. roll that, of images. That image there, yeah. which is, which is a, a, flower, a photograph a and a de yeah. detailed botanical description mm. is of the same plant, yes. um, is... Intensely so more information on the left than there right. is on the right, isn't that's it? That's right. Yeah. That scale of photograph, photography, you're not going to get the mm. detail. You can, in some way. But, mm. but scientific papers describing you know, plants and animals are still using mm. a lot of um, line drawings and illustrations mm. instead of um, yes. just photographs. I mean, in fact, it seems to me, having, having looked at that, that's that the photograph example. was really just a bit of a companion to yes. the drawing. The drawing is the essential exactly. source of scientific mm. information that's there. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and it's useful to have the photograph to give you a bit of a context mm. of how things might look. And, yeah, there's artistic value in, in things like those. Mm, those things. Then the seed. There's been some seed um, <coughs> seeds up there as well. Um, they're incredibly artistic, but they and they give you a feature of one aspect of the plant. 
mm. um, which is real, but mm. you can't you can't draw it as probably as well. Yeah. So let's um, <coughs> so let's turn over to you. And um, I know this is a, a very interested audience. So I've got a microphone wandering around. So if you could just put your hand up, and we'll get the microphone to you, so that other people can um, can hear the question. And um, who would like to ask something? You're all having that moment of silence. Up here <laughs> first, <laughs> just up here on the right, on my right. I'm not sure. Could you all hear Max's question there about the, the Flora Legium not being published for a very long time and whether that impacted Australian botany? Judy? Yeah, so it wasn't published until you know, 200 years after Banks um, um, and, and, and Cook, um, those expeditions. Yes, I think it did. Um, basically, it wasn't available and, and it was a much harder way for people to describe the, the taxa. So it was wonderful when it was published in the 1980s. Um, but it, it missed the boat in terms of actually being able to contribute to the scientific and um, knowledge of that time, definitely. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, that's been well. I think people have written about that in the past. So it was quite a, you know, because it had this gap. So, uh, so there were um, some of the engravings, about 328 or something, published in um, 1860, uh, 1806. Uh, 1806, yeah, 1806 um, which is uh, one were mostly Australian. Some of them, I think there was a few New Zealand ones in there too. So that was, it was very good to have that on, uh, on record, but it was only a subset of the obviously 700 and something that were 742 mm -hmm. engravings that were done as a whole. So uh, yeah, it, it, it was lacking that information because as I said to start with, that the, the record of, of, the of what they were finding was in the artwork, in the, in the diagrams for them. Mm -hmm. So there wasn't, you know, that was a description, but the description was very you know, um, sketchy of what the plant looked like and mm -hmm. the features of it. What a shame though, what a shame. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm, absolutely. So, in fact, um, there's a, a strangler fig in North Queensland that was named after Parkinson, Ficus Parkinsonii, um, and it turns out that that was actually previously described um, by, as another species, um, and so that, that overlap, there wasn't the knowledge that this had already existed. Yeah. You know, so that was fascinating consequences. Um, other questions? If you'd like to pop your hand up and we'll get the microphone to you. Uh, we'll go, actually, we'll go to here and then down here. So you and then you and then we'll go up to the back of the room. Yeah, following on from the delay uh, caused by the delay in publishing the Florilegium and the consequences of uh, accurate description of Australian uh, botany, do you think that um, that's why so many of the French uh, explorers' uh, botanical illustrations were... Mm. far more accurate and uh, mm. especially thinking of those from Dontrecasteaux and Beaudin where the, where the, uh, the specimens went back and Josephine yeah. appropriated uh, even artists like Redoute yeah. to, mm. to produce these wonderful illustrations mm. e even with artistic license Fabulous, of yeah. leaves wandering over margins and so on. Mm -hmm. But nonetheless, um, for the time, probably 
um, better than many of the British published botanical illustrations. And you, you've also got that wonderful thing of Josephine being fantastically interested in all of yeah, this herself, absolutely. which means yeah. there's, the, the, there's that impetus at mm -hmm. the very highest Definitely. level of society. Judy, yeah. what do you, you want to say? Yeah. Robin, yeah. One of the, I think one of the interesting things is that some, the quality of the uh, natural, well, botanical, um, but natural history illustrations from the Boone Dr. Casper voyage owed everything to Banks because the entire natural history collections were captured by the British off St. Helena in, in uh, 1795. And Bank, La who had, n the, the botanist, who had known Banks or visited Banks before he left, wrote this obsequious letter as to, 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 a, to a fellow to a fellow botanist, a great fellow botanist, who, who, who knows what it's like to travel all this way around the world. Um, you know, can I have it all back, please? Uh, <laughs> and Banks says, uh, yes, and I'm not going to look at a single leaf. <laughs> and, and, and it all went back. Um, and those, I mean, those collections dwarfed the, the British, the, the, the Cook collections, um, and subsequently came out in... in um, 1804, I think, mm. that was when mm. Labiadier mm. published mm. his mm -hmm. Florae mm. Novae Hollandiae. Yeah, so the, the accidental threads of history are quite fascinating in that respect, aren't ba they? Banks yeah. was enormously mm. important to that period. Yes. I mean, he, he, he recruited mm. and sent out Bauer, Brown, the mm -hmm. naturalist on, on with Flinders, yeah. and Westall, the landscape artist. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. He advised everybody. He was like a spider with this, this, you know, this web going right, right across uh, the, the, the known world, really, yeah. right to the Americas and beyond. Yeah, I'll go to you. Yeah. Uh, yes, thanks. This is perhaps more of a, an observation rather than a question, but uh, it seems to be the early artists were probably more successful in depicting flora than fauna, even though you know, there were specialists obviously there. But I mean, some of the early illustrations of the kangaroo, for example, mm. were quite odd. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, perhaps it was what you were saying before that they were drawing what they expected to see rather than what they saw. Yeah. You know, sometimes a kangaroo is like a, a giant rat with elongated rear legs, <laughs> more, more than the kangaroo. So mm. I mean, uh, that's uh, just uh, if you have any comments there, I'd be. Happy I, I think, them. Julia, if I go to you first on that, I mean, it is an interesting observation, isn't it? Because yeah. it's very hard in any creative endeavour to escape your own assumptions and, and the, the things to which you sort of default and perhaps that's what's going on here with the animals. That's exactly right and I think it's, it's actually a very, very interesting area of study I think. Um, um, the, the whole lifetime of experience that an adult has when, they, when, they, when they're seeing something for the first time, all of those reference points that they have to draw on to understand what something is are based on what's familiar to them. And so to actually separate yourself from all of that and really look at what is there is a really challenging thing to do. And that's, that's, um, that's the, the amazing mm. contribution that scientific illustration and natural history art can make to... Mm. Um, I'm always struck by that um, mm. sort of a slight shift of what we've been discussing, but if you look at John Glover's paintings of early Tasmania, mm. and there's mm -hmm. some wonderful illustrations, Hobart Town and, and the, the flower gardens that are filled with mm -hmm. European flowers mm -hmm. and seeds, that's all beautifully observed and you can, you can mm -hmm. actually pick what's what really mm -hmm. clearly. Yes. And then it's as if, 
what's beyond? What's over the other side of the Derwent? Oh my goodness, it is strange and wild and I'm really grasping at how to even represent it, which is a really interesting observation. So I think we had another question, yeah, up here. We'll just get the microphone to you. Thank you for your presentation and, con and conversation. To what do you appreciate, to what do you attribute the, um, the slow rate of uh, publication um, from the British side as opposed to the French and others, is, is this wrapped up in the politics of the Royal Society or a division of labour between uh, the Admiralty and the Royal Society or is it some sort of uh, scientific proprietalness of certain individuals? It's hideously expensive. I mean, the, the, the cost of the, the French productions, um, and, and it really only starts with... Um, well, it really only it starts sort of with Dante Castor, but, but to some extent Baudin, but it, it, they don't really start pouring the money in until after the restoration with people like um, Freycinet and Dupere and, and Dumont de Ville. And that's, they, they cost an enormous amount of money. And, uh, you know, the, 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 the atlases, the botanical and, 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 and anthropological and, and, you know, just the drawings generally, are hideously expensive. And you don't... Uh, Bougainville, you know, his precedes Cook. Nothing comes from that. Nothing is published except one narrative from, from that voyage. Um, Cook's j narratives, the published narratives, are at least accompanied by... Um, illustrations, but I mean Hawksworth's Hawksworth engravings are, are, are bizarre, you know, they're not, they, they, they bear no relationship really to, to what actually was seen and done. Um, it's really only with uh, the second voyage when, uh, but, but it, the, you'll, you'll probably notice that um, the man of Malakula, Hodges' man of Malakula, when he's engraved, he's given this, this sort of flowing robe um, he's classicised. Mm. Uh, yeah. Weber's, Weber's gorgeous, mm. glorious Tasmanian. I mean, Weber is a superb portraitist. I mean, mm. that that Tasmanian, is, he, he, you know, he comes out with thick lips. He's he's he's, he's racialised almost mm. in the, in the engraving. So that's um, something that has to be taken into account. But it costs an awful lot, and every single one of those um, those images is 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 you know cost a fortune. Mm. But, but it's also true that Banks lost interest and was doing other things in, in Britain at the time um, and, and used his money up in different ways. So he also didn't have the wealth he had earlier to actually make sure that the, the engravings were done. He an enormous amount in, into it initially, doesn't he? Yeah, but he did to start with and then just lost, you know, lost interest. It's such a huge job. What a life, though. Mm. What a life to be <laughs> conjuring with these kinds of yeah. priorities. We've probably got time for perhaps just one more question. Um, so if we've got someone else like to. I think, you, I think you have been quite stunned by the wealth of knowledge and <laughs> experience and understanding here. I might just perhaps conclude by asking each of you, what do you feel as you see this exhibition, where, where you're transported and, and, um, and what's particularly remarkable and distinctive about what we see here in the National Library? Bronwyn? Tupaya. Tupaya. <laughs> Tupaya's an extraordinary figure, isn't he? Tupaya's map and Tupaya's... I, I wish we had the, the Banks Exchange drawing too, but mm, of course mm -hmm. th th these things are expensive here. The British mm. Library charges an arm and a leg to mm. you know, mm. lend us this, their stuff. Mm. Mm. Um, but yeah, seeing the picture... And, and actually, it, it relates to your question about digitise... your mm. point about digitisation. Mm. I've been working on these images and, and particularly the maps for, for 20 years now. Um, but almost all of them I see 
on screen. Um, to mm. see the Hodges drawings in the mm. flesh, so to speak, or on the paper, mm -hmm. in the red chalk, you know, is, is really... And, and I've, you know, I've seen them in the past, but it's, it's so moving. Those mm. people, are, they live again. Mm. Yeah. What, Judy, Wes? I'm looking at the um, text of what the comments were from in the original um, pieces that are up in the exhibition. It was fantastic, just the, the, what, how they described the day what they did, you know, it's, it's fascinating. The conditions they were under was just, mm. you know, amazing. Yeah. And their description of mild winds and, you know, <laughs> they have obviously indulged them somewhere. <laughs> you can, it's just, it's fascinating. And, and the, actually the model of the, of the endeavour also made me think about really how people worked on that ship and from a scientific yeah. point of view, incredible yeah. space. Mm. Julia, what about you? Oh, I, just, I just absolutely love seeing what, um, what people are representing through their art. Um, it, it communicates so much about them as, as people, but also about what they were seeing and what they were experiencing at that time. And it's, um, it's a phenomenal thing to be able to do that and to, to present that to others and share that experience with others through your art. I've, I found myself thinking about the word lists because that represents such, mm -hmm. a, a, such a devotion of energy mm -hmm. that to try mm -hmm. to find the means mm -hmm. of communication by which you can mm -hmm. even guess mm -hmm. at yeah. what the other mm -hmm. one is indicating. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's just a remarkable thing to conjure with. Some of those lists are really long too. Someone's yeah. And the linguists are making a lot of use of them still today. Yes, mm -hmm. yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. What a treasure trove. Because, yeah, um, you know, language illustrates a whole worldview. Yeah. It's, it's, mm -hmm. it's not just a simple transposition. It's an understanding of how people saw their world as mm, a whole. Right, yeah. Could you please thank Julia Landford, uh, Judy West and Bronwyn Douglas. It's been wonderful. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much, Genevieve. Um, unfortunately, we've now run out of time, but I hope that you can join us upstairs in the foyer for refreshments. Before we close, I'd like to also add my thanks. Um, it's been quite inspiring to um, listen to you all. Um, I, we also invite you um, to come back another day to see our Cook in the Pacific um, exhibition and see for yourself some of the original natural history images made on and after Cook's voyages. I, sh I wanted to just point out that we do have two botanical specimens in the exhibition collected in Australia in 1770. They're on loan to us from the herbarium in Sydney. We also have an original Parkinson pencil drawing of a grevillea, a watercolour of the same plant completed back in England by John Frederick Miller, and an 18th century copper plate on loan to us all from the um, Natural History Museum in London. Um, and don't miss the light and sound show Beauty Rich and Rare, located on the fourth floor. Finally, as we close, I'd like to thank um, tonight's panel again for such an interesting and wide-ranging discussion. Please join me in thanking Genevieve Jacobs, Julia Lanford, Dr. Bronwyn Douglas and Dr. Judy West. Thank you.